0: Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. My guest this morning
1: is Wes Dean Otto, an adaptive arts specialist.
2: You have to be a good counselor first, and then you become a good art therapist. It's so much fun, and it's so beautiful to watch 21 women supporting each other, what's happening in creating images and in movement? is it's creating enough space psychically that they can see the situation from a different angle.
0: Monetizing your creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents?
2: I remember asking my mentor, I said, so you make enough money doing this to buy a house and a car? He said, yes. I said, you gotta be kidding me. You're just playing all day long in the arts.
0: We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll.
1: Well, once again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Monetizing Your Creativity. This is your host Fred Keating speaking. I'm uh, co-hostless today. Uh, My pal Marvin is out on Vancouver Island collecting great interviews from the musical colony on Salt Spring Island at the Treehouse Cafe. We'll leave him uh, singing Kumbaya for the moment but I'm back on the prairies and I'm at Chrysalis. Now Chrysalis is an Alberta society for citizens with disabilities. However, once you get in the doors here, you are struck not only, not even, I should say, by uh, the uh, disabilities, but in fact, the abilities. And my guest this morning is Wes Dean Otto, an adaptive arts specialist. Wes Dean, welcome, and can you tell me what it is that an adaptive arts specialist does?
2: Thank you for having me. The first thing that I do is when I meet somebody, we talk, I try and figure out, what their interests are, also what their abilities are, where those limitations exist, and what can be done in the arts to maybe overcome those limitations, as well as how can the art materials be used most effectively with the abilities that the individual has.
1: Let me just ask you what arts materials you currently work with.
2: We're working with everything. (laughs) So we've been working with clay. I work a lot with paint. We do a lot of painting. Lately, we've been drumming and drawing at the same time. So one, somebody will drum and the artist will draw. We do some movement and I've been working a little bit, just dabbling recently in voice.
1: Now, you have a fair amount of arts ability yourself, do you not? Would you consider yourself a practicing or or working artist as well as adaptive specialist?
2: I consider myself more an adaptive art specialist than a practicing artist. I've always worked in the arts, either through museums, galleries, or teaching, but I think my true talent comes in arts administration and helping artists be the best artists that they can be.
1: Can you give us a description then of how you came to be, where you are now, and who you are now? What's the path like?
2: Well, I started out in drama and dance, and then somewhere along the line, I realized that drama was way too extroverted for myself. Not that there's anything wrong with being an extrovert, but I'm not that extroverted. I also really like being behind the scenes. So I started out at the Edmonton Art Gallery and spent seven years there. And during that time, I did a lot of teaching. I looked into some of the research and how art was being used as research and how art was being used to make statements. So some of the statements that were being made were the destruction of the rainforest, So we had an artist put in an entire display of all these beautiful banana leaves that came all the way down the foyer and through the staircase to talk about that. The other part, because of the dance, I'm very kinesthetic, knowing something through my body. So I wanted, we created the Emily Carr dance. So when we would look at Emily Carr, I would actually have all of the kids sit in front of the painting, choose an element, be it a rock, the wind, whatever. And then we would create this vision where everybody acted out the pieces. And then I would say, go, and they would start to dance this painting. And it was a way of knowing the art through the body. And that became important to me. 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with MS. So I realized that I needed a job where I could stay involved in the arts, but also a job that didn't rely on my legs every day. So I started studying art therapy and expressive arts therapy. It's been a lovely way to take what I know, how I teach, what I love about the arts, the joy that visual arts can bring, also the comfort visual arts can bring to people. We always forget about comfort. When I go to Vancouver, if I ever get lonely, I just walk through the Emily Carr exhibition at the VAG, And I'm like, oh, here's all my friends. So the paintings become friends for you after a while. And I think that's true for audiences.
1: I understand the concept of comfort for the audience, the serenity or the excitement that uh, facing and, and standing near for some time and letting the art be absorbed. But uh, tell me, is the arts expression or the expression of uh, through arts therapy also comforting for the, the painter or the artist himself or herself?
2: It can be very cathartic but I try not to go for big catharsis. I sort of look at art therapy as unlocking a safe. Myself, when I'm working with somebody, I work very, very slowly and listen carefully and try and get the individual to listen to their body for those hints as to when I've gone far enough, do I need to retreat? It's like cracking a safe. And inside the safe is this beautiful release. So with kids, I had one child that I was working with, and his family had a lot of strain in the family. This was during my practicum. He couldn't make a mess at home. So we created a game called Snot Hockey. And in it, you take pieces of clay, you put them into a baking tray, and then we poured all sorts of paint in. And we just took our time and played hockey in the pan with the paint sticks and it was totally messy but it was the first time he had been able to play that way and it was so important for this child
1: snot hockey all right a a new canadian sport developed in the kitchen but what i'm hearing is that in fact while we've been talking about arts, I'm hearing now with uh, baking pans and all sorts of different kinds of materials, there's a, there's a bit of science in here as well, is there not, in terms of playing around and experimenting with different materials?
2: Absolutely. There's a lot of science involved in this. It's a new area. Arts therapy is very, very new, probably within the last 25 years, and only within the last, I would say, 10 to 15 that we've gotten some really good research coming out of the area. But there is science. It's a really soft science. Your intuition guides the process and really knowing your materials, having used the materials. I never ask anyone to do something I haven't experienced myself because I want to know what it feels like in my body, and then I know whether or not that's the right next for somebody else.
1: Tell me what kind of training is required in terms of the therapy side of arts therapy.
2: Within our training, you have to have an undergraduate. It is a master's program, so we take the same training as a counsellor, but on top of that, we also take art therapy courses so history of art therapy and then how to use art therapy with different populations and then on top of that I did five years of training under sort of a master Marcus Alexander in Edmonton on how to use intermodal as he calls it so shifting from painting to drawing or shifting from painting to dance or dance becoming drawings or dance becoming music I've even performed a soliloquy with a broom that worked really well but again it goes back to that what are the basics of psychology you have to be a good counselor first and then you become a good art therapist
1: but for someone interested in the arts or who always liked uh, various arts activities, it would be in fact a way of making quite a decent living and career for oneself, making use of your favorite pastime, as well as really contributing to the student's quality of life and perhaps by extension, their family's quality of life.
2: Yeah, because I don't work just with children. I've done extensive work in the inner city. I have worked a lot with people who are low income or maybe marginalized. And it was funny when I came here and started working here, I realized there were a lot of parallels between the marginalization that happens for low income individuals or people living on the street and what happens for a lot of the individuals who attend Chrysalis regarding loss of voice. Yeah, no, working as an art therapist when I get there is I remember asking my mentor, I said, so you make enough money doing this to buy a house and a car? He said, yes. I said, you got to be kidding me. You're just playing all day long in the arts, and yet you can feed yourself well.
1: I know exactly what Marvin would say if he was here right now, my co-host. And he would say, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. You get up and you play and continue to play. Let me ask you about the weekend retreat. Tell us about that.
2: So I just finished that last weekend. It's a joint program that's put on through an inner city, through a couple of inner city agencies, as well as CMHA and Aboriginal Counseling Services. And we're very fortunate. We have a great sponsor, which is important in the arts. But our sponsor allows these ladies, we had 21 of them last weekend, we go in, we spend the entire weekend. And the weekend is actually based around an arts project. That is how the weekend evolves. So this year, we were talking about breathing space. And we came up with this idea to do prayer flags. It's so much fun. And it's so beautiful to watch 21 women supporting each other. Some of them were so scared to make the prayer flag or didn't know how. And I don't do a lot i just sort of hold the room but they all help each other out they also cheer for one another we have artists come in on saturday we do six workshops on saturday so you're allowed to choose two workshops to do this year again i ran an improv drama group we did improv uh, storytelling and All we did was we did the walk of ages, I called it. So we started out as toddlers, and at the end we walked across the room with the wisdom of our age. It was quite beautiful. And then we created the story using those ages that we had explored.
1: I wanted to ask you about the application of this kind of work in those families or individuals that are under incredible stress. I'm speaking specifically of some of the uh, armed forces veterans from various uh, campaigns and the potential that they have for being exposed to PTSD and whether or not there's room there for the application of what you're talking about to ease some of the incredible distress that often takes place in those family units when the mother or father returns from rather traumatic conditions and tries to adapt back into what we call normal life. uh, I've not met anyone that has a normal life yet, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere as an ideal. Tell me about the kind of application that might uh, Help those wounded warriors
2: when i was doing my practicum i worked with the children of military families i was at the military base a lot of those kids live very careful lives because mom or dad may have ptsd also we forget that it's very difficult for families when mom or dad has to go on course or has to be deployed We forget that piece. There is research coming out of the U.S. right now that is showing art therapy to be more effective than talk therapy because with the art therapy, we don't re-traumatize, we don't relive, we don't retell that story. What's happening in creating images or working in clay and in movement Especially in movement, so going from painting to movement, is it's creating enough space psychically that the individual suffering with PTSD or the spouse living with somebody who is living with PTSD, they're able to create enough space that they can see the situation from a different angle, from an angle that maybe lets them see it without activating that trauma. And that's really important, is to not reactivate the trauma, but to allow the trauma to have a safe place to be contained. So the paintings become these contained places. There was an art therapist in San Francisco, and they did boots. They took all these army boots, repainted them, and it became this way of leaving it in the boots rather than home.
1: That's incredible because as widely respected as talk therapy is, my experience with the vets, uh, even in my own family, is that they rarely can, if not uh, want to talk about the experiences they've had, but only with someone they feel really has been in those boots as well, and, uh, and will truly understand and truly listen without any level of judgment. Uh, I want to say thanks very much for your hospitality at Chrysalis here today, and I know that there are other specialists on staff that work in drama therapy and movement and music, and I'm hoping to take advantage of my residents here to uh, check in with them as well. So, Wes Dean-Otto, thanks so much for being with us.
2: Thank
0: you. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity.